Today on La Representación, we will be interviewing Angel Perez, who is an executive assistant to Emblem Productions, which is also Steven Spielberg's production company. We will be speaking about representation among American films here in the U.S. today. Bienvenidos a la Representación Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Emma. I am currently wearing a long sleeve blue sweater. I have short, medium brown hair, and I have brown eyes. I am of Latina descent, which means I have tan skin, and today I have an amazing guest with us. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Angel Perez. I am an assistant over at Amblin all the way in L.A. Uh, what are you wearing today? Just get like the people visualization. Yeah, I am currently wearing a lightish wash denim jacket with a black shirt under. Um, I'm also Latina descent and have a tan-ish skin, but it's a little light right now. <laughs> it's, no worries, summer's coming. What yeah. are your pronouns? I use he, him, his pronouns. But if you want to say uh, anything else, go on. Go on. <laughs> Love it, love it. So tell us about your position in Amblin Productions as an executive assistant to the senior vice president of the company. Uh, so a lot of my job day to day is kind of assisting the SVP uh, or senior vice president, as you said. Um, when, and what that entails essentially is, you know, answering her phone calls, wearing her calls. She actually just texted me right now. Um, so like every time she needs something, I'm kind of like, giving her some help with not only her projects, but sometimes like the smallest bit, it could be like, hey, I'm going on a flight today. Can you add that to my calendar? Um, so little things like that. It's kind of just helping with her day to day and then going more in depth. I do a lot of reading for her. I track her submissions and her samples. So everything that comes in for her to take a look at, whether it's a director sample and watching this short film or this movie, or if it's a submission that someone's like, this book is amazing. You guys have to do it. Um, I'm kind of ingesting all that and also helping her keep track of it. And then the last part of my job really and getting more even more into is doing the actual project work that she already has so she already has her own projects that she's working on now and a lot of my job entails looking at those projects helping her with the drafts coordinating directors lists writers lists and kind of thinking of what the next steps are and helping her with that um and making sure everything's coordinated well to keep pushing along essentially that's like the gist of my job right now how did you find out about this position? Like, how, what were your steps into coming into this position? So it really started when I was in college. Um, I like my senior year of college. I was told that I could, like, I was in my first internship. Um, and people were like, oh, after college, you want to be an assistant. Um, or you want to even start off in what they call the mailroom. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, inquiring, like, why? Like, I wanted to be an assistant because I knew kind of, I knew at that point, like, being an assistant is how you start. Um, as everyone says, it's where you start because then they promote their assistants to then be an executive. And then you go from there and you start making your own movies. And I wanted to be in a position where my path led me to eventually one day, which still young, so I have time, but making a movie uh, or multiple movies. And I started out in the mailroom. So I started out at an agency and I worked in the mailroom, which is, as you would imagine, a literal mailroom. Um, and it's like an entry level job. So you can have no experience, but a college degree and you can potentially get it as long as you're a 
sane person in past the interview. Um, but for the most part, I was like, this is like, low, you know, low stakes. I, you know, getting coming from college, I was like, this is going to be hard. Like, this is going to be a difficult time. A lot of people struggle with finding jobs post-graduating. So I was thinking that this might be the easiest step. And I thankfully I did get a position in a mailroom. And when you're in the mailroom, you cover desks. So what that looks like is you're essentially, when say I'm out today, like I'm as an assistant, I'm out. The mailroom person or the floater, sometimes they're called floaters, they will come and cover my desk so I can be out and not have to worry about work and they'll do it. And they'll make sure whatever I do or the basics, as long as my phone calls are being answered and things like that are handled. Um, and with that, they gain experience. So after a couple months of being in the mail room, I eventually interviewed for a desk at the company and got it and kind of never looked back since. Because once you kind of get that assistant position, it's easy to stick with it and move on to different places. And eventually I can go through the whole career a little later, but eventually let me down to Amblin. That's that's awesome. I never would imagine like how that would work, especially with the entertainment industry. It's very closed off. Like people don't know the steps. What educational background is required for this career and what made you choose this? I think that's the tricky part. I think some because I know people who are history majors. I know people who are English majors. I know people who are film majors. I was a film major. Um, and I know people who are majors that have nothing to do with film. I know someone graduated in my, one of my closest friends graduated with a marketing uh, major and wanted to get into marketing, but she really wants to produce. Um, and so with that said, when I was in the mailroom setting, all those different people, it kind of comes down to the passion, really. It comes down to being like, I really want this specific path in the industry and Although I did like history major or political science, um, I did political science because I thought I wanted that and I loved it and I do love it, but there's always ways to like kind of spin it a little bit. I almost went into college as a political science. I actually, went to, I went to Emerson College and I applied undecided. I wanted to literally do either political science or film because I was like, had this idea of like, I'm going to change the world. Like, I just want to have impact. And, but I also love movies. <laughs> so it was like in the middle. And then I, over time, I realized like movies can really impact people and media and like, you know, kind of like what we're talking about today, representation and things like that. And I was like, I need to be a part of that. I need to put some power into that, give that some power, be a, a Latina person in that space and use that to help people and I, I love like the idea of like being an artist and you and how artists are like I'm gonna use my art to actually help people and change change the world um so in the end it came down to really passion like I've always told people that when I interviewed when I first started like I was going to be a political science major but I really want to be in this specific field so I would say to those listening it doesn't necessarily matter if you're not in one specific box what matters really is if you're passionate and can really relay of what you want to do and those steps you want to take and obviously being in a room you don't really need that many credentials this is moving around mail and stuff like that but you want to show like I really want to do this I want to learn and that's what matters I think a lot for sure 
Yeah, I definitely understand that, especially because like I'm a public relations and advertising major. And like my entire like with a concentration in Latino media and communications, I've constantly fought for representation when it comes to like disability communities because I have a father's table and definitely like representation because I never saw someone who was like petite, plus size, uh, dark skin like mine, because it's either you're either very morena or you're very light skin. And I never saw someone like my tone or even your tone. So I definitely understand that representation and wanting to fight for it. That's very impactful. I love it. I love that message. What does the behind the scenes process look like when producing a film and choosing the cast and what kind of elements are added? That's a lot of like what I do with my boss's projects, as I was mentioning. That's a lot of my that I get to see, thankfully. Um, and a lot of it kind of so we see as a as a studio. So Amblin is technically a production company and a studio, depending on the project. So there are some projects where we'll take it in and we will be acting as the studio. So we're overseeing it from beginning to end. There are some projects where we have someone else as the studio and we're helping produce it and going to be on the ground to kind of doing the production work. A lot of it looks kind of the same and kind of blurs into each other. Um, so overall, it the pro the day to day and the process of that it looks like. We get a script, someone sends it to us, like, or we read a book. And if it starts with a book, we have to eventually adapt into a script, which is a different story. But eventually we'll have a script. <laughs> uh, we have the script and then we work on that script. We work on it and we give notes and we do drafts and we make sure it is exactly where we want it to be enough where we can start attaching names to it. And by that, it's like getting a director on board. So getting navigated, now we have a director. Or do we want a, a star? Do we want like Margot Robbie to be the lead? Or J-Lo? Or, or do we want a director like Steven Spielberg to be the director? Like that's kind of the next steps. Because then once you start getting those attachments, you can kind of get the ball really rolling. And that whole process, as I'm sure those listening and yourself know, is like packaging. So when you make it into one big package and then you have this beautiful little gift with a bow on top and you're like, hey, Netflix, make this movie uh, or pay for the movie. And then we're, they're like, great, we'll do it um, because it's already set up. We have Steven Spielberg and J-Lo and Margot Robbie and it's, woo, it's going to be part Barbie part two. Like, it's like everyone's so excited for it. We have the movie. We have a script developed at this point. We have cast. We have our own production team, physical production team, who is already on top of looking at the budget, looking at locations, hiring location scouts, hiring production designers, all that already is happening in the background. I'm not on that team, but I, I know they do it because they have conversations with my boss since my boss oversees the creative. Um, and that's kind of the, the process. And then once we get to shooting, it gets really to the nitty gritty of like, now it's like time to, we have 50 days of shooting, for example, and each day they shoot a bunch of different scenes. And then as the assistant, a part of my job is to go through the dailies. Um, and for those who don't know, or yourself, the dailies are essentially the different shots that were done in that day, essentially. And I kind of go through, say there's one scene, but five different takes. I just pick the best one, in my opinion, and kind of go through and pick the best ones. And then I kind of put it together and send it to my boss. They look at it and then it kind of gets goes through a little process of funneling down to which actual takes do we like the most to focus on for the actual movie itself. And then we go into post. We go into post, we look at the VFX of it all, if we need CGI, if we need to do, we'll do the title cards and everything, all that gets added, it makes it look pretty, we edit it together, we add the score, the sound, the music, and then we look into marketing. We get into marketing it, 
And we and at Amla, we actually have all of these departments. We have a VFX, we have a post department, we have the physical production, as I was saying earlier. We have a marketing and communications department. We even have casting. So like we kind of get through everything. And then once it's marketing, it's set its own uh, release date. We get there, we do the premiere and then boom, the movie's off and hope for the best. <laughs> um, and then obviously, you know, then sometimes you want to like, hey, let's bring it to a streamer after, you know, like it, it's, it was in theaters for two months. And now let's put it on HBO Max or Max now it's called. Um, so that's kind of the process. If that's like a very easy breakdown of it <laughs> like yeah no i i get it it's very like it's it sounds linear but there's a lot of steps to make it linear and my boss is sitting there through every single step because since we're the creative part we want to make sure it looks and feels and sounds the way that we got the script like when we got that script in the beginning we want to make sure it is exactly how we imagined it and how we as working with the director and the cast imagined the film to look and feel people yeah I had the opportunity to be on a film set because yeah. I auditioned for something for my friend and ended up getting the lead and it's very cool to see how was the auditioning process for those like um do you think it's like very diverse or is it very like exclusive because of like a-list celebrities I think it's a mix of both I think I've seen a lot of different lists that Amblin does um I think for the most part, they're pretty decent. Uh, I think our casting director does a pretty good job of like finding a wide array of talent to attach to different projects. Um, the In terms of diversity, I think it exists. Sometimes it's not always at the forefront and that could be a challenge is like, you know, let's, for example, we have a project that involves like a fairy godmother and a, her her sub her client, and then a prince, for example. And the client is, is the fairy godmother already cast, and it's a black woman. The client is someone we're looking for. And I'm like, let's make it a person of color too. Like, let's just like really zhuzh it up. Um, but sometimes it's like, no, we really want like Sydney Sweeney or something like that. We really want someone else to to do this. And I'm like. No, sometimes I'm like, no, <laughs> um, because I am pushing. I'm always like, please, please, please. Or for the prince, like, let's get a person of color. Like, let's like, add in there. So I think it exists on the list and it's in their minds. And the lists usually are of a bunch of A-list names. Um, so like, again, like the J-Lo, Margot Robbie. I don't know why they're stuck in my head, but them two specifically would be like on the list for a different project. But um, they're on there. And they're part of the A-list group, but they're not being pushed to, in the way where it's like, we want this to be a person of color. And I think that comes in hand with, and this is mainly just spilling the tea, I guess. Um, I think that comes in hand with the idea that, not the idea, just the reality that Amblin is a very white company. Um, all of the execs, my boss included, are all white in the film team. Steven Spielberg is white. <laughs> our casting director is white. Um, our marketing team is white. Or, you know, there's, it's very white. Um, and so, although I think they may be consciously trying and like, I'm an ally, I can do this. I, can, I also think there's another part of it that's like, this is just how it is. And I'm, and I'm just I'm not, I'm not like, I don't have to push for it as much because I'm not experiencing this. I think that might be something that some people may even think they may not even, they may not think it consciously, which makes me think it's an unconscious bias, 
But I do believe that because having an, having a space where there are all white execs making these decisions and in charge, it's makes it harder for people of color or filmmakers of color to specifically to then get pushed to the forefront because they're, I don't know, I, 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 I can't explain it better than basically saying, I don't think white people are thinking about race the way we are. And that's the problem. They should be thinking about it every single day. They should be waking up and being like, wow, this movie is really white. Wow, this thing's really white. Wow, white, 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 white. Like they should be thinking about it every single day. But I don't think, especially in the film industry, that white people do it enough. Absolutely. I understand that. Because it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think I know why too. Because like, we talk about this in like uh, PR, it's very much you're not going to acknowledge something that's already been catered to you. And they already have their representation. They already have their positions of power compared to people of color who have been fighting for these positions for a long time. Fight. Why is it so difficult to make progress with Latin films when it's such a large population who watches film? I think it comes twofold. It comes from the idea of, obviously, there are these white execs who are in charge still. Some places are really diversifying their roster of, of their their staff and doing better. And that's getting really, that's, I appreciate that. And I love that. And even at Amblin, although they're all white, there are some projects that are revolving around people of color. I think the, the, the barrier here is twofold in the sense that there's not, there's still, I feel like still not enough, like even when I read scripts, there's not enough scripts and things coming in that are with Latina, like specific characters or stories. And I'm not blaming them that on the writers, I'm blaming them on the idea of like, what is happening here? Are people not looking for this? Are, are maybe agents or managers not signing these people to, who are passionate about these stories? Because once the agents sign, you know, like a bad example, but like Lin-Manuel Miranda or whatever, like when they sign him and he writes a script and then they send it, they, can, they send it to someone, it, get, it can get made. But if they're not signing the Angel Perez, who no one, oh, sorry, no one you're good, you're good, I get it. Um, then how is my story going to be told if I'm not having anyone that's actually thinking of me and being like, you know what? That story needs to be told. Let me help you make it. Let me send it to studios. Let me push them to make it. The studios then need, need to get on board too. It's a whole like process of where, although there's such a huge audience, there's there's not enough opportunity for the people behind the scenes. And that's a problem. And I think the other part of it is when stuff does get made that is very Latino focused, it... <laughs> People have like a like to, like one way or the other. They're either in love with it because they're like, I relate to this so much, or they're like, this is like a stereotype. Um, and that is valid on both ways. You know, I, sometimes even I watch them, I'm like, wow, this is like a stereotype. But I'm like, but I relate to it though. Um, so I can understand that. I think that causes discourse where I'm like, I don't want there to be me, like any type of film, TV, whatever, that is going to be stereotypical. But I also think like, damn, we know we had that shot there. Like, at least there was something. But then I'm like, no. But then I hear from someone else who's like, I related to that, though. Like, I grew up, uh, like, not me, but like this person saying, like, I grew up Mexican-American. And I relate to that. 
I'm not Mexican American. I'm not from LA. So like things like that, like if it's for an LA specific thing or if it's a Boston specific thing, I'm like, I'm from Boston. I know this. Um, I'm also Puerto Rican. I know this, you know, like it can kind of, some people relate to things differently. And that is where we look at our diaspora overall. Like there's people from Puerto Rico, there's people from Mexico, there's people from Paraguay, like very different cultures, but also the same in some ways yeah. you yeah, know we all share like that latin uh like experience and we all share like the the history and the like the traumatization of like the caste systems and stuff but at the same time there's some who prevailed more than others who have survived much worse or have survived much less mm-hmm, mm-hmm. agreed so then that translate all of that trauma it translates and so on top of the idea of there not being enough opportunities still there's also the idea of like critics <laughs> um people like being like no I don't want to see like blue beetle or whatever because it's the stereotypical and I'm like no I watch it I'm like I don't know I have to see it like I don't know you know but it's it's tricky it's really no tricky. I understand that especially because like one of my main issues with it comes to film is when they try to do Spanglish and it doesn't come off correct because English is such a very cold language like I can't be like oh I'm gonna go see my tia like, that just sounds wrong. And in reality, Spanglish is more of like, bro, I forgot my cousin's birthday. Se me olvidó la casa, el regalo. Like, it's very much different. And I think that, like, film could really benefit from listening to those who aren't in positions of power. Because I feel like once you rise to fame, you kind of forget your roots. And that's normal. And I'm not saying, like, people are, like, unappreciative of where they are. But it's very much you will be surrounded by white people and you'll be surrounded by people who don't have the same ethnicity as you and that can very much like like wash away your culture and I understand that 100% like you explain that perfectly <laughs> to what extent do you see a representation of disability within directors of film in your field that, I, I said directors in diversity sorry <laughs> um directors within the uh, it's so tricky and I remember I just saw um Eva Longoria just said something on, and it was like reported on like Hollywood Reporter or Variety or something like that. I don't know if you saw it as well, um, but saying how like I can, you know, oh, sorry, a white man can make a $200 million movie that's a flop and then get another movie, like still get put on for another movie after, even though that movie was horrible and it was cost so much money and you wasted money. But I do that, I it's a problem. And I was like, that's kind of where I see it a little bit where... I think people, it's like, goes back to what I said about the uh, opportunity. There's still a lot of disparity with opportunity. These these different names are rising and we can see them and we're like, yes, like, go ahead, do Flaming Hot Cheetos, even like make that movie, like do it. And we're so happy for her, but it's like, how long did it take for to get to this? You know, like what, what, how long, what's going on? You know, I'm sure there are other directors of color out there who have made one thing or made nothing yet. And they're amazing. And it's like, it's, it's so tricky because people stick behind names. People stick behind the idea of like, oh, I mean, he, I work for him. So I'm saying him specifically like Steven Spielberg lovely man met him great great guy um, great person to work for lovely <laughs> but he's such a name and he's amazing and he's talented and he's earned it for sure 
but it's like no one's not gonna if if it was like Eva Longoria or Steven Spielberg, they're not gonna pick you. <laughs> like they're gonna be like, no, 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 we're going that way. So what I'm trying to say is the idea of someone's being a name, having made the Fast and the Furious movies, or having made uh, Harry Potter, or having made you know big big movies that were successes. They're great directors, I'm sure, talented, amazing, sure. But they're going to be the ones that the studio picks first over someone else. And that's the problem. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, if this is a movie about a Puerto Rican woman from the Bronx, let's get a Puerto Rican woman from New York at least to make the movie if we have it. If, if she's good enough, talented, has even done a, directed a, a TV show maybe, let's just get her. But that won't be the case. They'll go for the person who just directed Little Mermaid. <laughs> like they'll go for Rob Martin. Like they'll go for that person because like that's more of a name. That person will get us this movie made. And I'm like, I'm a big risk taker. So I'm kind of like, go for her. Make this movie as authentic as you can and make it strong and make, and give them the chance. Just do it. You might even save some money because it'd be less money to pay the director. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> but uh, that's that's kind of what I think of when I think of directors and diversities. There's still a lot of lack of opportunity, and it comes from the idea that a lot of directors of color are not names. A lot of them. There are a good chunk for sure. Um. So, and then there was another question. Yes, it is. Do you see the push towards increasing the Latin actors in the film industry? Yes and no. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the actors, and I, 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 when I worked at the agency, I worked at the agency before my first job, and that's why I was at the mailroom. I was in talent because um, I love actors and I love working with actors. So during my time there, I kind of would see a different, actors of color, specifically Latino, like coming in, getting jobs, getting booked and things like that. It was great. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. I love this. I love this. So I think they're, and they're also passionate, like having conversations with some of them, they were, they're so passionate to where they're like, I want to make this thing. I want to be a part of this X, Y, and Z. And they'll go to their agent and say it, you know, they're, they're, asking for something and instead of you know being like oh, it'll come it'll come I'm good I'm good I'm cute I'm good I'm a good actor it'll come they're asking for it and going for it and I love to see that so I think the actors themselves are doing their part and really pushing for what they want I think it's the problem is like they're not always getting the lead though you know they're not going to be put on the front of the movie so they're getting in there but they're not getting in there fully and I think that comes back to opportunity and those people just picking, you know, someone else to do X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I was grateful that like Ana de Armas did like um, Blonde. And that was amazing. She beat out, she beat out so many white girls. <laughs> so, you know, it's like great, you know, but the, in the movie, different story. We can talk about that another time. Um, but she beat out all the white girls and got the role. Amazing. Look at you. Go. Get that role, girl. Uh, or even when she was in Knives Out, like she was like the the lead person essentially. Um, well, it was it was like an ensemble, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so there are some chances where you can see them like pushing through, but it's still 
tricky. It's still a little bit of a barrier there. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand that too, especially because like now we're seeing like, uh, I think her name is Rachel Zegler and yeah. she's like, yes, oh my God, it's like the first time I oh, went to hear my story. It's very, exactly. And I'm, I've been a big fan of the Hunger Games since I was like a kid. So seeing her in the songbird, the ballad of the songbird and snakes, I'm super excited. I already told everybody, don't bother me November 17th. I'm going to go see it. <clears throat> I've been a, a big, I've been a big fan of Spielberg since like Shrek. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and yeah. yeah. And and he's great. I also understand what you mean by like, oh, it's because he's such a big name and of course he deserves it. That limits the amount of people who can try to compete for the same position. In your perspective, why is it important to build an understanding of these ongoing diversity issues within American film? Or in other words, why should we care about this? I think we should care about this because if we if we cared about this. And in my head, I'm like, this is such an emotional response. If we cared about this, the little angel or the little MOs of the world wouldn't be in the position we're in right now where we're talking about this and having such passion discussion because we need to fight about this. Or not fight, we'll have a, you know, have a conversation where we need to then go together and fight the people, you know. Um, that's why we need to care about this. I think we need to care about this because I, is, uh, you and I specifically as and now about to be 21 plus people <laughs> who have, you know, have their childhood already happened. Like we, from a person of color perspective, I'm thinking about the children. I'm thinking about the little angel, the person that didn't have that representation and what that meant for me, what that meant for who I liked growing up, uh, who um, I thought was cool or not growing up, who I thought was cute or not growing up. Like it impacts your life. And I think we deal honestly, and this is why I'm saying some emotional answers, because I already deal with enough generational trauma that I have to go through. And that's from outside of movies world, the movie world. But now I have to deal with it coming from this as well, where it's like, I'm not being raised seeing me. So what does that mean for me? What does that what does that mean? To the people and I think we need to care because we're we need to care about the people that are not ourselves but in a way ourselves when it was younger you know like think about the kids that's what I think um I always just think like I want to make something that a five-year-old Puerto Rican boy from Boston living in the projects can watch and love and be like wow this is great. You know, oh my God, this is so fun. It's so cool. Look at that guy. You know, he looks like me. Um, that's what I think about. And I think that's why we should care is because we're not in this alone. And people of color had already have a, as, as white, people, white people know this, <laughs> they know we've had to deal with a lot. They know we still have to deal with a lot. So why make it harder? Why make it less accessible why make it less enjoyable like what's the reason there is no reason really you want to watch a hundred percent I get that because for me my entire life I've been fighting for representation like I'm married I'm part of that like small demographic that married in college and my husband is a white man so he he'll ask me like why do you stem from so many insecurities I'm like well if you've never saw anyone who looked like you in media 
And like, I'm like, if you never saw anyone who looked like you in media at all, then you wouldn't understand. And then when we went to go see Wakanda forever, it was finally like, I saw somebody. I saw somebody who was like, though he was darker than me, he was very much embracing like his Mexican roots and like even seeing the diversity within Latino culture. I had to, for, I had to find VIX, which is like an all Latin streaming what, service. Wait, VIX, V-I-X. Like VIX, like Vap. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like V, it's V I X, I think, or V I K, something like that. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you would like to share with your audience? If not, all the things that we've talked about today, what would you think is the most important piece of information that you want listeners to understand? I, I think the only thing that I, that I didn't mention that I would love people to understand, especially those of color who are listening, and who are watching, and who can relate. You, if you want to be in film, be prepared for people being confused as to why you have not seen every single film. And I'll say it without the bleeps. Every single white film. (laughs) A bleep bleep show passion. (laughs) Be prepared because they will be confused. They will be like, how have you not seen, I've seen this movie, but they'll be like, how have you not seen Breakfast Club? What? And I'm like, you think I was growing up on that? I wasn't watching no Breakfast Club growing up. I had to watch Breakfast Club when I was in college. Actually, I was in high school. But basically, like, (laughs) I wasn't watching this growing up. I was, I, my, my first favorite movie, one of the, is two, but one of my first favorite movies is Selena. And that's because of the music. That's because of J-Lo. That started my love for J-Lo. And like, that's it. And like, that's where, and then I was like, okay, I gotta watch Made in Manhattan and Aconda, like J-Lo, J-Lo, J-Lo. I love this. And I'm sorry, I wasn't watching fucking 16 Candles, all these John, John Hughes, right? Something <laughs> all like these- that. Something like that. I mean, white people movies. Like, no offense, great movies. And people of color can also love them. There are no people of color in the movies, but they can love them. <laughs> um, and, like, just be prepared for that. And there's no need to defend yourself. I also grew up watching BET and watching Tyler Perry. Like, it's okay. You you did your best. Your parents did their best. And it's Okay because people will look you crazy and you need to just know that you're not crazy. You need to know that you didn't have the same life they had. You didn't have the same white life they had. And for the people of color who are listening, who are like, oh, but I want breakfast And I see, great, amazing. I'm so happy for you, but you're not, you're, you're, you're not, you're not, you're like not the same as other people. And I know yeah, you're not speaking for everyone. Yeah, you're not speaking for everybody. So, so and I'm not trying to speak for everyone either. I'm just saying there are people out there, myself included, my boyfriend included. He's not in the industry, but we grew up watching different things. And that's because we were seeking things of color. So, Absolutely. And my parents are not educated on film. They do not know who Martin Scorsese is. They, they have never probably ever seen Pulp Fiction. They're, that's not what they, they that's not what they did. They grew up being like, oh my God, Transformers is my favorite movie because it was a big blockbuster. That's what they loved. I grew up watching Fast and Furious because of them. And also because of, you know, Latino representation a little bit. Like they tried <laughs> uh, with that. I loved it. Uh, but still, like that is 
the reality of it. And I just wanted to get that out there so people can understand they're not alone because I relate and I'm literally working in film, working at a company that Steven Spielberg runs. <laughs> so like I, I made it, you know, I'm here, you know, but I'm still didn't watch Breakfast Club until I was 18. So it's okay. <laughs> um, and then I think the main takeaway is that the fight continues. It's, it's, it's on, it's going to continue. Why people need to wake up and every day think of racism every single day and that these opportunities that they give out to different people need to be further inclusive you can have them on the list have them at the table but no they need to be at the head of the table honey (laughs) this this needs to change um and the fight continues for us but i also think that there needs to be some really deep awakening for a lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think what for me, what stuck out, what you said specifically was that we all watch different things seeking out that representation. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much that really impacted me. My final question is, are there any platforms or informational websites or social media that you recommend to listeners to learn more about this topic? To plug your own too. <laughs> 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 uh, you, you can follow me on Instagram <laughs> um, at Poppy So Cold. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say at least a resource that I have found useful, and I also interned here. Um, it's called you might know of it, but it's called Nalip, N A L I P, and it stands for the National Association of Latino Independent Producers. So Nalip for sure. Um, but I would definitely check them. I'd plug them because I work there. They're great people. And they also do a lot of different programs across the board for different facets of specifically Latina people in the industry. Um, so definitely check them out. Nalip.org, I believe, is their website. And they're also a nonprofit. What are some Thank last you. words that you would want to leave for our audiences? I, yeah, I think the last thing I would want to say is to don't be afraid to hit me up. Um, any hesitation, feel free to give them my email if you want. You know, when you come, you can hit me up. I'm here to help. Like, I don't know every single thing, but I know some things, especially if you want to work in film. I can help out a little bit where at least you have someone. Having someone, especially someone who looks like you, is super helpful. So, don't be afraid to reach out. I'm here. Give them an email. I'll be here listening to the podcast after this, especially. Uh, and I can't wait for this to come out. So don't be a stranger. And good luck. You're almost done. You got what, two more years? Three, one more year? Four years. What? You're almost done. <laughs> so perfect. I'll be waiting for you next year. And everyone listening, I'll be waiting for you when you are done. If you hit me up, I'm here to talk. Well, thank you so much. This has been La Representación. As always, I'm your host, Emma, and I want to give a big thank you to our guest, Angel Perez. This is an amazing conversation, and I'm glad that we're talking about diversity. Next up, we will be speaking to students from DePaul University about what we just heard from Angel Perez as a Gen Z perspective. Stay tuned.
Bienvenidos a la representación. As always, I'm your host, Emma. I am wearing a short sleeve mauve top, and my I am of Latina descent, which means I have tan skin, dark hair, brown eyes. And I have with me, as always, the lovely Victoria. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Victoria. Today, I have on a white shirt with some silver earrings, and I have light skin, and I'm very excited to present Giselle Bajena, which she is our guest today, and she is a student here at DePaul majoring in public relations. Hi, everyone. My name is Giselle. I am wearing a short sleeve black shirt. I am Mexican, so I have just a little bit of brown skin because I kind of need to get tan, but I have long <laughs> black hair and brown eyes. Don't worry. All of us Latinos come in like <laughs> this variety of shades. It's beautiful. We love the diversity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so to get the conversation started, just like to ask around the table, how do you see a modern day American media in one word? Would you like to go first, Giselle, or you want me to go first? Yeah, I can say um, progress. Progress? Can you explain that a little bit? Um, I guess compared to like how modern day, like how media looked back in the day and how it looks like now. There's been a little bit of progress. We're seeing like different types of movies. Uh, we're seeing different types of rep representation. So there's a little bit of progress there. Is it setting stone of the progress is like 100% perfect? I don't think so, but it's progress. We're moving along. We're um, breaking the barriers and we're, we're getting something started for the future. I love that. For me, I would say that in one word, who is a little hard, even though I've had so much time, there's so many words I want to say, but I guess I would say elevated. And those who are like elevated, that's like, that's like a random word. I would say because growing up, I didn't see anybody who looked like me. And then in 20, like around 2017, Coco came out. And that's when I started seeing more and more diversity. And then Encanto came out and like um, Blue Beetles coming out, which is like a Latin superhero and like... Um, Wakanda forever showing the diversity and the beauty of like Latino culture and I can definitely say it's elevating and I'm super excited to see what it has in store. What about you Victoria? Oh, thank you Emma. Um, Something that like comes to mind when like thinking of this question I think of purpose I feel like I'm not a big person on movies and a lot of genres honestly but uh, I watch a lot of Disney let's say and I've seen that Disney has made it a purpose to have like a lot more diversity within their films and stuff. So I feel like different um, movie companies that are trying to have a purpose when it comes to um, implementing a lot more diversity is really important. And you can see those companies that are really trying to do it and those that are kind of still lacking it. So I think just like finding that sense of purpose and bringing that awareness um, about different stories is really important. And I've been I've been seeing it um, throughout um, the past couple of years a lot more than before. So um, with this, we can talk about kind of what we heard Angel Perez talk about um, in the last segment. What is like a reflection you took away from the episode and whoever would like to go first? I can go first. I thought he was amazing. Like the way he articulates his points are so educated. I was in awe interviewing him and I, I'm so glad I had the pleasure of interviewing him. And I think what really stood out to me is that a lot of people watch a lot, like especially in Latino culture, watch a lot of different things because we were seeking the representation that we didn't have. And that really hit home for me. I grew up watching all these movies. Like I swore if I wasn't going to be something in like entertainment, I probably would have been like, 
um no I probably would have done still done something in entertainment I don't think there would have been another career option for me but I grew up watching like Hallmark movies I grew up watching romance like horror I grew up watching like all these different genres and I remember like thinking oh this isn't meant for me because there's no one who looks like me and it didn't hit me until like I looked into like how I reflected my relationships because growing up like I did I mean you have your boyfriends and I dated a lot of Latino guys but I remember being really afraid because the only type of representation I ever got when it came to Latino relationships in real life and in media were that they're like bad that they're like abusive and that they're um they're not a good thing and I remember being really afraid to date people because I was afraid that that relationship would convey into reality and that's not what it was that's not the case because I only ever saw white people getting the happy fairy tale endings I only saw like Cinderella for example she was always like with her prince charming and I always was like that's not for me until I took myself out of that bubble and I was like that's not true this is the only the only reason you think this is because there hasn't been someone who looks like you yet those are some great points Emma for me, I think, first of all, you guys chose a really, really great speaker, um, so props to y'all. And I think for me, the most like interesting thing that I still have in my mind right now is when he started to mention um, that like certain movies and like how you didn't grow up with those movies and that's okay. I feel like I never really thought about that and like how people would like be so confused if I didn't see any other like white dominant like movie. But because, like, I grew up with, like, um, Bajo la Misma Luna, that was, like, my, like, favorite movie when I used to grow up, uh, and, like, instructions not included, like, those are, like, the movies that I, like, touch your heart and stuff. Um, so it's, like, very, like, nice to hear that, like, you know, just because you didn't grow up with those movies doesn't mean that, like, you're just not, like, into it or, like, you're not cultured into the movies that are, like, popular right now. So I think that's, like, a very important point that like everyone here in America or wherever you are, like you grow up differently. My story is different from anyone else's. Like what I grew up with is different from everyone else. So I think the diversity in our lives is like super important to acknowledge and say like, hey, my life is different than yours, but you know, it's my life and it's been exciting for now. I definitely agree with you, Giselle, when you say like the different experiences part, because um, I was talking to, um, I think it was Emma about this, like, earlier, but I didn't watch movies that didn't have translation in them. Um, I would always watch movies with my mom, and I, like, she does not speak English, so, like, watch movies that didn't have translation because I always had to put them in Spanish, so I grew up on a lot of, like, romance movies. I am 19 years old. I have never watched Bref Breakfast Club. Um, honestly, ask me what it's about. Don't know. So, um, Definitely when Angel said, when Angel brought the Breakfast Club specifically, I'm like, I've heard of that movie my whole life. Never have I watched it. Like, I don't know if I just don't put time into it, but I've never been like super specific on knowing like actors' names or anything like that. So it's definitely like a culture shock when you get to college and then everyone like talks about so many movies. And I'm just like, I've never watched that. Like, um, yes, I like watching movies that represent me and stuff, but like, um, I mean, simple or like basic movies like Breakfast Club, I guess, um, never has it crossed my mind. So like, oh, I want to watch that today. I don't know. When Angel was talking, he was saying that he was talking about like the steps they take to make these movies. He was talking about his boss is there through every step of the movie. 
um, of like the creation and like choosing specific things. So um, how do you think the people that are like creating these movies or like like the director, um, how important do you think representation is for that? it's very white I'm gonna be pretty blank like it's very white I noted like I did a lot of research after he was talking about it and I was like I want to see how much of diversity in Latinos is in like the entertainment industry and it's not very big it's like about like 10 like maybe even less than 10 percent and to me that matters because like I'm in an in a interracial relationship my husband is white I also grew up watching things like El Chavo del Ocho he has no idea what that is I have explained it to him several times and he's like but what does that even mean? El Chavo del Ocho. And I'm like, the guy from the barrel. Like, how do I explain that to him? Like, it's a guy in a barrel. And he's like, but isn't Ocho eight? And I'm like, yes. And he, it's like, it's those kinds of cultural differences that really matter because we know who El Chavo del Ocho. I see you guys like, yeah, like you guys are nodding. But it's that kind of culture that like, you can't just like learn you have to grow up in that environment like yeah you can learn about it but you won't have the same appreciation for it people can always educate themselves on it but they will never have that firsthand experience because we are latinas we are the ones who were dealing with this whether it's the oppression whether it's the lack of representation the um stereotypes all these matters you can't just have like diversity and not include inclusion my point is it's needed because it's not something that can be learned I think anything that has to do with like any hiring or like bringing in diverse candidates to like any position, I think it begins from like the hiring standpoint and also like the leadership standpoint. Um, if your leadership and your hiring like managers are not diverse, then you can like how how am I as a Latina assured that I'm gonna get a position because not because I'm a statistic and I can be a statistic in your business, but like I'm needed for the diversity and I'm needed for that inclusion and I'm needed for that unique perspective. Um, I remember I just came back from a trip with the LeGrant Foundation, which is a scholarship for uh, minority students who are interested in public relations, marketing and anything like that. And I remember one of the speakers um, mentioned something that like, if an idea is like based on your comfort and like it's comfortable for you, then it like, but the idea entails a diverse perspective and an inclusive perspective, and the people at the table are all white, then it's probably not the best idea because you need that unique perspective and you need to be learning um, about people and about their lives. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think I just think at the beginning, from the starting point, if you're going to hire someone that's diverse, then the table should be representing diversity and inclusion. Uh, because that's how you're going to be able to learn new things. That's how you're going to be able um, to get the unique perspective that you want. Um, it can't be based on assumptions. And obviously, I, my perspective is definitely, like, it doesn't represent all Latinos, but I can talk about my life and, like, I guess some Latinos that can relate to me. Um, but, yeah, it definitely starts at the hiring table, and it starts at the beginning, and then it trickles down to, like, um, the ending where you get that diverse perspective hired. I definitely agree with you, Giselle. I think you make a great point about like who's at the table because even, like adding on to like what Angel said, he said that companies um, like Amblin predominantly white when it comes to who's at the table and the the stories that they think need to be told are not stories like maybe us as Latinos um, see that aren't being told within the industry. So I think I really like your point on that. 
when it comes to the opportunities um, that Latinos have in this industry, um, and going back to like what Angel was talking about, he specifically said white directors and white and white people in this industry can mess up and then still get like a new contract like super super soon um what are your thoughts about like when latinos mess up that he said that like it takes us it takes them a lot more a longer time to kind of get like people to come to believe in them again that they're um that they can do it ask that question to giselle first yeah um yeah, so I definitely think in the news we've seen where if a white person messes up, especially in the industry, whether it's like film or not film, um, if they mess up, it's like, it's like worded differently. And I feel like this is something that I, I learned in my advertising class for PR, um, that the words that they use to describe a white people's mistake versus a person of color's like, mistake is like so different. And if you simply just go into the news, like you literally see the difference um, of anything. Um, and I think people have definitely noticed um, like the difference of like how people are treated. Um, so it definitely sucks because I feel like I'm also very scared of like messing up in my industry and PR specifically, cause like it's communication and I, you need to know like how to communicate with people correctly and appropriately. And so I know I just have this internal fear of like, if I mess up, like I'm literally gonna be looked at as like dumb I'm gonna get fired or I don't know but it's very interesting because like if I were to look at any of the my white co-workers that I'm working with or like any like white student that I have in my classroom like do they have the same feeling like I don't know because I don't ask that question but it's like now that I'm thinking about it, it's like a very interesting question like I feel like this but like do you feel like this so it's very interesting to see and it's like it's very sad that um, we have that fear of like, you know, if we mess up, it's going to go bad. But if someone else is messed up, it might not. I think that brings us that brings us back to privilege. Um, I think this a conversation about representation, all this can always bring us back to privilege. But I think like that's one word that stuck out right now when you like were saying that I was like, it's the differences between privilege um, here in the United States. Yeah, so I definitely like I understand that fear, especially with OCD, it's very intensified with the whole if you mess up and OCD is an anxiety based disorder. And also as a fellow PR major, I understand that fear of like, if I mess up, I am done. And I have asked my husband this question, because when he messes up, he's so nonchalant about it. He's like, okay, and he's a white cis male. So I'll ask him like, why are you so calm? You just messed up. And he said, because it's not the end of the world. And that stuck with me on so many different levels besides OCD. But again, back to privilege, because he says that he's seen people like shows where they mess up and they end up having a happy ending. And I feel like the reason why we have that fear is because we have to work so hard to get to where we are, harder than anybody will ever understand unless you're a minority yourself. Thank you, Emma. I agree with like everything you just said. <laughs> it's like last point um, talking today. Giselle, as you are public relations major, we wanted to ask um, if you could give like advice for, for other students that are listening that might want to get involved in the field. What is a recommendation you have for students trying to get involved? And what's any last minute comments you might have? Thank you for speaking with us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I think uh, similar to what Angel said, just like finding that one person that's willing to help you that looks like you is like super important. I've always tried to involve myself in like Latino communities where they're that's like in a student organization or like this scholarship where I can actually see people that look like me. 
I remember um, we like go to Minneapolis and we have a roommate and I remember seeing like so many like diverse people like they're Mexican, Venezuelan, like a whole bunch of other things. Just like so much fun to like finally be in a space where you're like can breathe a little <laughs> and you can be like, I'm like, I belong here. I see myself here and I feel comfortable here because um, you feel comfortable sharing your ideas. So definitely just find those spaces, whether that's in the scholarship, that's in the student organization, or like being friends with like someone that looks like you that is going into the same industry where you guys can support each other is definitely um, super important. And I think my last piece of advice, just believe in you. I think it's super important to believe in yourself and believe that you can actually do certain things in this life. I won't say it's going to come easy because I know that's what I've been telling myself. It's going to it's going to be a journey. It's going to be hard. Um, but just believe in yourself. You can do it. You have the support system. You have, might have to find it here and there, but you have it. People are there willing to help you out. And that's definitely something that I've like taken away in life um, after my like three, four years in college. So yeah, just believe in yourself and find those communities where you can see yourself in because they make a huge impact. Um, and how comfortable you feel and how secure you feel in the in the industry that you want to get into, whether it's PR or not. Thank you so much, Giselle. Once again, this was Giselle Bahena from DePaul University, majoring in public relations. Um, She's also president of the PRSSA at DePaul chapter. Just, I know I, I wanted to plug it for you because you work so, I'm also in PRSSA, I'm VP of community relations, but I just want to say she works so hard and I'm like, you are very much an inspiration. Thank yeah, you. I, 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 I've never seen myself as that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, um, it's like so important to see people in the leadership that look like you because I guess I never realized when people were like, "Oh yeah, like you're looking in the industry." Like when people start saying like, "Oh, you're someone in this industry," it's like it's life changing and it's like it makes you feel good about yourself and it makes you feel like, "Wow, like I'm actually helping others and like others are helping me." So definitely important. Get get out there, show your face, be confident, and you'll do great. Like how my mom says. Thank you all very much. And this was La Representación by Emma and Victoria. And we'll see you on our next episode. Thank you all so much. All right, bye, guys.